Hello, everybody. How you guys doing? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff. After hours, my name is Mark DeMeo. I am your host. I have a very exciting guest tonight. I'm, uh, I'm going to bring him on right away so we can get started. He's got a lot to talk about. He is an author. He's a former New York City housing police officer, then turned author, a best-selling author, by the way. Let's welcome Pete Thron. What's up, Pete? How you doing, Mark? Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on. Where, where, where are you right now? Uh, you don't have to say exactly, but are you in New York? Or? I'm in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. All right, man. All right. Are you in a basement apartment? No, we're on the second floor. Oh, good for you, man. That's all my goal in life is to just, I want to be able to come out and uh, not have to duck when I exit my uh, <laughs> to get outside. So, yeah, so I'm in a basement apartment here in the Bronx, but I'm doing well. I got no complaints. I'm a little tired. Let's see. We got uh let's say hello to the people that are, came in early. Thank you for for joining us. Winbach, she says hi, hi y'all. Uh, Milwaukee civilian Mark, I will be stunned, absolutely stunned if you do not have a magnificent show tonight. Always eager to hear your mix of comedy and law enforcement. Can you try to make it just a tad sexier? Wow, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I never thought of myself self as a as a sex sex symbol, but um, <laughs> if that's what you want me to do. But Pete is here anyway. He's got. It looks like he's pretty. He's got some massive arms there. Look at those freaking cannons! Thank you very much. Some <laughs> guns. He's got the guns. Gina G. Hello, Gina G. Raquel Pranzo. Thanks for seeing. Thanks for joining us, Raquel. And thanks for the positive uh, words. My son. He graduated. Um, well, he graduated from nursing school a couple months ago. But he took the test. There's a test that you have to take afterwards. He passed the test. So he's, now he's an official RN. And I posted Congrats. it yesterday. Yeah, I posted it on social media. And some of the people were kind enough, like Raquel Apronzo and her husband, Peter. They're regular uh, on, on the show, and they, they were kind enough to comment. Patty L., hey, 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 I made it to your live, Mark. Thank you, Patty L. So excited. Welcome, Pete Thron. Am I saying it right? It's Thron? Yes, Thron. It almost sounds like, like a superhero name, Thron. It's like between... <laughs> it's between Thor and what was the other Tron? It's Thron. I got that a lot in school. Yeah, like well, yeah. what did they say? What'd you get? Well, my, you know, my friends in in school would say Thor or, or Tron, but my teachers they call me Thorn, and I'm like, you're a teacher. It doesn't look like Thorn. Uh, uh -huh. It's Tron. <laughs> they used what to drive me nuts. My kids go through it too. What kind of name is that? It's uh. Believe it or not, seventy-five percent Italian and a little bit of English. Uh huh. Yeah, Thron. I come from an Italian family, a Volpe and a Dante family. All right, it sounds sounds uh, it sounds it sounds tough, Thron. <laughs> Pete Thron, single mama four. Hi, single mama four. Hey guys, I'm late. Sorry, you're not that late. We just started. Just now got the notification. Um, Lorna McKenzie, she's up here. Ryan Ryan uh, Investigative Group. I don't know if you know Bill Murray. Bill Murray's retired from the job. He's a private eye now. And um, Peter Pranzo, he's the author of Harlem Raiders. And he's been on the show several times. Both of them have been on the show several times. You uh, you add to our list of authors. Um, but before we get into the books that you've written, uh, which is five, by the way, and it, it seems like you wrote them all within uh, the pandemic. Is that Well, you started in 2017, right? I started writing... And the tour in 2017. It took me two years to write that. And then from 2019, 
I wrote four other books. Yeah, you're like, what, what, what am I wasting so much time in a perfection, right? Just get them out there. <laughs> right? But yeah. two, no, you figure two years is probably the, the amount it takes. But I guess the other ones, it's I guess it's like comedy material in a way. It takes you a long time to develop that first hour. And then after you develop the first hour and you, you have your writing style and, and you know your, your, your voice and what you're trying to say, you could probably churn it out a lot quicker. Yeah, for me it was like the first book it took. My brother is a, he works for Audible. He's a narrator. And I sent him like the first 10 pages and he's like, Pete, do you know any other word but the F word? Uh huh. <laughs> like, I can't read this. You, you got to redo it. So I, it, I actually redid the book three times uh -huh. before, I, before I got it out. All right, good, good. Yeah, I, I get that. I definitely get that. Um, yeah, the F word is is a nice. It's it's a great adjective, a natural conversation. But reading or when you're performing, especially in front of strangers, you know most of the people that are going to read your book are going to be strangers, as well as performing on stage. They don't know you. You don't know what their background is. If if they're Christian or if they don't like cursing, whatever. I always feel it's best to try to curse as, as little as possible when I'm on stage. And if I was, I was writing, I think that as well. Uh, but let's, you were, so let's go back. What year did you come on the job? I came on the job in 87. Oh, wow. You look good. Um, How old were, were you? 20, one of those 20 year old guys? I came on the job. Okay. And that was, that was my second career. My first career, it kind of went up in smoke. I was, Slated to be, uh, not slated. I was drafted by the Mariners. Oh, you were, what were you, a pitcher? I was an outfielder. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, I didn't understand my contract. I was, uh, I was still young. as 18 years old. My college coach got me a walk-on with mm -hmm. them. because At the time, they were, they were still kind of like an expansion team. Uh -huh. And I, I made it, but I didn't understand the contract. So I called my my uh, coach, and he said, okay, listen, see if they'll let you come home to New York, and I'll go back with you on Monday, because we were in a, my team, I went, I went to Dallin College, and we were in this tournament called the Knickerbocker Tournament. He said, see if they'll let you do that. If they do, I'll fly back with you. And uh, he would have been, been my agent for the time being, because I, I didn't understand any of the wording. Mm -hmm. It was just too complex, and I was afraid to sign it, to be honest with you. But they were going to give me a $25,000 signing bonus. I, mm -hmm. I had a lot of power, and I had a very strong arm, and I was fast. And when I went back to uh, the island to play in this tournament, we my team made it to the finals, and in the last game, the ball was hit over my head. I was running for it, and checking the distance between the fence and the ball, and I took my eye off the fence, and I crashed into the fence. And I just shattered my whole uh, throne on it. I was fit. I couldn't play again. So I became a cop after that. Yeah, that's good. I'm sorry to hear that, man. My son played ball. He was really good. He was a pitcher. And I'm a big baseball fan. I love baseball. It really is. Buddy wants to go to the majors and play like that. It's good, but it's also a lot of pressure. And a lot of times at that young age, I noticed my son, he just wanted to hang out with his friends. Um, he just wanted to he didn't want to get ready for practice. He didn't want to, you know, there was always that fight. Where's your glove? You know how much money I paid for that glove? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, 
I'm happy that he took the route he did. He could still throw. Even now, you know, he's 25 years old. But I tell you, if, if he got on the mound right now, um, I couldn't hit him. And I used to be able to hit. What kind of power did you have? I was a power hitter. I, that, that's one of the reasons they were going to take me. I, it's funny. I had a friend that I was talking to the other day. And when I used to get up to the plate, I wouldn't even look at the field as I would look at how far the fence was. Hmm. And I just knew I could clear it. Uh-huh. And I look to clear it every time. That's a good. That's a good mentality to have. And if I hit the ball on the ground or it was a line drive, it, it would fall in, fall through usually. I had a lot of infielders after the games. They would say that they didn't want to go near it because it screamed off the bat. You know, when I'm looking at you right now, I'm thinking about uh, made the movie Major League, and I forget what that guy's name is. Um, that has Charlie Sheen's number, and he's coming up there, and he's got the chewing tobacco, and he's got that big mustache. <laughs> you might as well call him Meat, you know? Yes. All these guys are called Meat. You, you look like that guy. You could have played that guy. <laughs> How hard was it to, to just give up on the baseball after you hurt your shoulder? You didn't try to come back at all? I, I, I just couldn't come back. It just it shattered my – I still had a problem with my shoulder. I still had need surgery on my shoulder. It had a torn, uh, I had a slap tear on my bicep. I tore a labrum and I tore my rotor cuff, but I shattered my elbow. And I oh, just, wow. I just couldn't throw a ball. And my, I basically have a dead arm. Mm -hmm. it, it did things to my head. I, I my arm was, a, I was a right fielder. So it, again, if the ball was hit to me and I knew a guy was trying to go home, mm -hmm. I knew I was going to get peg him. I, I People used to say that I had an arm like Andre Dawson. Wow. And and I had the power of like Daryl Strawberry. That's wow. what they empowered me. Compared to Tim. Wow. I would like to see that. Um, so anyway, so your arm gets, I guess you're, you're in a sling there. And then, then what are your options there? How old are you now? I was 18 still. So you're 18. And then what are you doing now? You come back, your arm's in a sling. What are you thinking about? I knew I, I was going to take the test. I had taken a, I take, took the top test when I was 16 and passed, but I was too young. And then I, I just worked. I was a carpenter. I did some bodybuilding to get bigger and stronger and build my arm up. And then at 21, I, I took the test again. And by 22, I was in the academy. They, they just, I scored very high. Mm -hmm. on the, uh, I think it was like, 200 2000 maybe 2000 2200 in the uh out of like 20,000 people so i was able to get into the academy pretty quickly and um from there i didn't look back you know it's started a great career for me uh, bill ryan's got a good question I'll, I'll get to that in a second um as far as uh, joining the academy you wind up getting housing right yeah it's that was funny. the I was in housing first. They had put me in transit, and I looked at the guy. I was just like, "Come on, dude, don't put me, don't put me in the in the subway." And he looked in at the me. Hole. He's like, "All right, kid, you, you're not going to NYPD. I'm going to put you to housing." I was like, "As long as I'm above the ground." Uh huh. And he put me in housing. I, I was lucky, you know. Either way, I, I would have taken anything. I wanted just wanted to be a cop. 
But it is, most people wouldn't understand, especially if you're not from New York State. Back in the day, we had the New York City Police Department, and then we had the Housing Police Department, which housing basically, it just, it's just for the housing projects, the low-income housing, uh, NYSHA, New York State, uh, what, what is it? I don't know. New York City Housing Authority. Yeah, yeah New, there you go, NYSHA. So, um, and then you have the Transit Department, and the Transit Department works in the subways. So, when you come on as a, as a police officer, naturally, most people, unless you had a father or an uncle that knew anything about the job, or an aunt, or a mom, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. There was women on the job back then too. Unless you had family on the job, you probably wanted to go to, to be a city cop, and that's the cop that's on TV. They never show you the transit cop or the housing cop on in movies on TV shows. Who wants to do that? Right. So now you get the housing, but little did you know, it's probably the best kept secret, right? That's what they say. It was the best kept secret for my first five years, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And things just started changing because guys wanted to get in PD. They wanted to go into the units and housing only offered a few units to be in, like PSU, which was the patrol stabilizing unit, but it was citywide and anti-crime. And, and, and warrants. They were in warrants, too. And and, and also the detective uh, squad. I wanted to get into the squad as quickly as possible. Getting my shield was my main my main goal. It was, I was basically obsessed with it. You know, before we go on any further, I just wanted to congratulate Patty L. And thank her. Patty L. has become a, a YouTube member of ours. And that you can tell that by the green the green lettering. Those are uh, our YouTube members. And uh, th- congratulations, Patty Ellen. Thank you for joining the family. We're happy to have you. Yeah. So um, back to housing. Everything was, you said, hunky-dory for five years. I know I came on in 92. It was a little bit before that that the merge happened, right? Was it before that? Uh, no, it was after. Okay, well, before, yeah, before the merge. Because I remember when I went for my class, I got the city. I stepped up. Uh, you gave me your name. And they gave you a tax number and told you where you're going. And when I was when I was in the academy, we were in in our group, a big company. There was some transit cops that were doing the training with us there. I don't think they had their own training facility at the time. Housing had their own training facility in um, in Maspeth. No, it wasn't Maspeth. It was a uh, damn it, Middle Village. Anyway, so um, yeah, so. And then shortly after that, they merged. But in order to 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 leave housing or transit, you had to have like a hook or do do some type of crazy jumping over hoops to leave, right? Yeah, you know when I went to the academy, it's funny you said that because I w- we were with PD and transit. Uh-huh. All, all of us were in one company, so we had like there were about four people, not yeah, four people in housing in my company and. Three people in, in transit, and the rest of the people were in NYPD. But to get into a unit, a lot of guys tried to get in. They wanted to get into OCCB. So you'd have to go from either anti-crime or the PSU unit, and you had to be, you had to have at least a hook somewhere in PD to get in there. Otherwise, you weren't getting in. You were very active as a housing cop right off the bat, right? Yeah, I, 
I, I had, I would make every year I would make between 150 to 200 arrests every year. So neither, uh, I think it's safe to say you were beating down people with those clubs. You, those, those guns, right? That rocket that you got uh, for a right arm, right? But you know, <laughs> pounding bad guys, right? <laughs> if, if, if it called for it, I, I, I was a little heavy handed because I was trained by a gentleman named Satch and he was a Vietnam war veteran. The guy looked like the iron sheik, the, uh, the wrestler. Uh-huh. Handlebar mustache, just as big as him, and he just taught me his way of troll. His way of collecting CCRBs. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> this is how I get my CCRBs. Yeah, you're gonna do the same don't, thing. Don't let anybody shortchange you. You're gonna hit him. You hit him good. <laughs> and Earn it. It's funny because the last day of field training, he took me. I, I usually stayed with him, but last last day he took me and he saw how I basically progressed from being a scared little Long Island kid to pretty good cop as a as a rookie. And he said, you know, you were you're you were a cop at the wrong time, wrong decade. You should have been a cop in the fifties, fifties and sixties, which I guess was a compliment coming from him. And then I went down to, uh, what did I go? I went to um, Pressure Point, which that was from Mayor Koch. He had basically waged war on every, all the drug dealers and addicts in, in downtown near Alphabet City. And everybody went, everybody went into the system. They didn't get any tickets. They didn't get desk appearance tickets. They just went through the system. So... I started to make drug hollows there, and I started going on rooftops, watching drug dealers, and that's basically where I honed my skills of becoming a uniform narcotic cop. That's that was my main thing, making narcotic collars. And did you have binoculars? Binoculars, little mini binoculars. At the time, they actually cost a hundred bucks, which is a lot back then. And You're pretty powerful. You're pretty buffing powerful. out. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> Stay, you know, I, I would try to stay on the roof, hope that I wouldn't get a, a call from my post and go down and make the college. And I, so I did that for six months. And then I went to uh, my first permanent command, which was in Harlem. So I went from East Harlem, my field training, to Central Harlem. And that, that command covered 116th Street to the tip of Manhattan and the Heights from river to river. We covered a lot. And, uh, Which one was it again? It was PSC. And that was... Man- uh, in Manhattan, right? On the yeah, east Manhattan. side? Yes. Yeah, you guys cover a lot of ground. Yeah, we covered a lot of precincts. I think we covered the two, two, three, no, the two, four, two, five, two, six, two, eight. 3032 and 34. Housing not available, Central. Housing oh, yeah. not available. Yes, <laughs> too, too much ground to cover. It, it, we, I was handling, when I was on patrol, I was handling between anywhere from 45 to 60 jobs a night. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I think about, you know, you were on top of the roof. When I was in the task force, you know, I remember we used to, somehow, don't ask me how we did it, but we used to have a TV. 
and we could watch Monday night football from the van. And we did. <laughs> and Monday nights, you know, uh, at a certain time after we did this checkpoint, it was kind of time to slow it down, have our dinner somewhere, park somewhere, and and, and catch a little bit of the game. And we had this guy, uh, Marcella, with us, who turned out to be a phenomenal anti-crime, um, well, street crime cop. And uh, But in the meantime, while he was with us, this guy was, you know, he was looking to make college. He was looking to make a name for himself. And we were just looking to, catch, you know, watch this, pretty much watch this game and, and eat our meal, right? So he used to sit in between me and my partner, Jock, and we didn't care. We were just like, listen, where do you want us to park? We'll park up that hill. You keep an eye on the phone booth. When you're ready, just let us know, and we'll go get him. And he used to sit there with the binoculars watching all the way down. It was like down a hill, all the way down the block like this. Okay, now, guys, <laughs> we just take off and he'd make his collar. But it was great. And uh, like I said, Cello, if you're out there, man, God bless you. I miss you. I hope you're doing well. And uh, so you're in housing. You're making all these drug collars. Now what? Uh, I'm probably three years in, I was in my first shooting. Uh, I heard that doesn't sound good when you say first shooting, that means there's many more to come after that. <laughs> yeah, I was in three shooting. Oh, wow, um, that's a lot. Yeah, I had four guys against the wall, I was on 124th and 2nd Avenue. And the, the problem was with, with at least for me, was I was making a lot of like you had said, you're supposed to be in housing projects. I was out in the street making you dip, yeah, you were dipping out. <laughs> and I would try to explain to the bosses they're not dealing in the project. They're dealing outside, bringing it into the projects. So we got to try to stop it from coming in. Some of the bosses agreed with it, but a lot of the old-time bosses were like, no, we want you to make house inside. When you worked in housing, if if you went like, you know how you get, you get there's like, a, like gates and stuff that surround the housing projects. Like, if you went outside the gate there, was there, like, a buzzer that would go off? Ee, ee, ee. Like, you know, you got to turn around and go back in? No. no. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I saw a lot of projects, you know, a few years ago, and now they they don't let the cars go in. We used to be able to drive our cars in. There. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, yeah. You can't do it anymore. They put an end to that. You were able to chase somebody with the car. If you yeah. had, they, they can't get their cars in there now. No, they didn't like that at all. It's a little tougher for them. So, um, so what happened? You got four guys up against the wall in 124th Street, and what happens? And I hear a two five precinct car getting into a, a chase, and they're exchanging shots with the with this guy, with these guys in a Toyota, and they're coming down 124th Street from Third Avenue. So I tell my partner, I'm like, "Listen, they're coming our way." I tell these, you know, the guys that I. I only had them for a few vials. I'm like, listen, it's your lucky day. Take off. It would have been a misdemeanor. So they, they're happy. They, they leave. I didn't put the, the collars over the air, luckily. And sure enough, I mean, these guys are exchanging shots left and right. The guy comes speeding down 124th, and he sees me. My partner's in the car, and I'm out, and I'm braced against the wall with my gun out. And this guy takes a hard right, the driver. He's driving with his left hand, and he, he sees me. He puts his right hand outside the window and 
takes a few shots at me. Mm-hmm. I hear a bullet, uh, a bullet goes right over my head, like past me, and I hear the whiz. <laughs> it's the brick, brick, a piece of brick lodges in my neck. I punch my gun out, and I uh, fire a few rounds into the door, and I'm running down the street after him. And my partner's like, get in the car. I'm like, no, just drive down and try to cut them off. I end up chasing them, chasing them on foot. He goes down. They, they take a hard left on 117, 18th Street. And he loses. He, he's doing like 60. He ends up flipping the car several times. I run through a parking lot from 119th to cut them off. They're crawling out of the... The car gets upside down. He flipped the car so many times. He lo- they both of them lost their shoes. Wow, it, it was wild. You know so, what it is? They probably don't, they probably had their laces untied. Well, very yeah. loose or something. It's crazy. And Back then, it was the eighties. You know, they used to run DMC. No, they, you know, you didn't wear laces on your shoes. It's always fun, isn't it? Funny that the the urban street style is always. It's really not good for being a perp. Like, for example, the bag, those low pants where their their whole ass is hanging out. How can you run away with your? <laughs> you got to constantly pull up your pants. Before that, it was the sneakers with the no laces. You figure if you're gonna be a real, real criminal, you'd have like uh, you dress like an like a professional athlete. You wear tights. You wear the shorts on top. Your sneakers are tied up. You got really good sneakers on. You're ready to run. You ready? You want to suit up. All right, not these guys, not these guys. Let me let me say hello to uh, Dawn Marie. She's in the chat. I think she feels like I I forgot about it. I'm sorry, Dawn Marie. Gina G also in the chat. Hello, Margaret O'Hearn. Hello, uh, Sergeant Friday's here with us too. And uh, did I miss anybody? Let me see. Lorna McKenzie. Hi, Lorna McKenzie. All right. Hi, Dawn Marie. So, uh, so yeah. So you know, it's funny when when cops explain. You can always tell somebody who's been had to uh, articulate the shooting they were in in front of the panel, the NYPD panel, because they, they always mention which arm, which hand they sh- I shot for with my right hand. There was dry. He was driving with his left. If you're explaining this to people in the street, like, yeah, he, shot, he took a shot at me. I shot him back. You know, <laughs> you kind of take so, everything in, you know what I mean? Okay. So, so that was your first shooting, right? You did you, did you hit anybody? No, I, we, we nobody was shot. Mm-hmm. And I ended up shooting. I ended up en- emptying my revolver because the guy, the driver. Because was, why not? If you're shooting, you might as well empty it out, right? Shoot everything. He saw me. He tried to. He went to point his gun at me. I, I took two shots, but I was so far from him. And they actually they ran into an, a, a building on 116th Street, and they went up to one of the apartments. They took a family hostage. Oh my God. And they were hiding in the bathtub. One of the neighbors heard all the commotion. They called the cops. He issue came, and they they locked the guys up. And at the crime scene, what these guys were doing was they they were dressed in all black. Mm-hmm. In the car, there were zip ties, rope, duct tape, tasers, several more, more guns, coke, and money. Mm. They were going up to Washington Heights and ripping off the cartels. Wow. They don't and last long doing that. We That's what I said to the guys when I, – I, I didn't do the interview because we're the housing cop. and Of course well, not. 
I said to the guy, they rather let a civilian interview them than a housing no, cop. No. <laughs> <laughs> housing <laughs> cop? Well, what are you kidding me? <laughs> we'll go get the, the TS <laughs> operator. Get him in here. Right. We need somebody. You can't have a housing cop on the paper. But I, I said to the guys, I said, you're lucky you got caught by the police because when the cartels would have caught you, you wouldn't have never, you would have been cut up. You would have been diced up with a, a chainsaw and that's it. But that was a pretty wild shooting. You know what I want to do? Um, so there's two more shootings to follow. and But you, you got, there was a, Let's just skip right to the good part. You got jammed up, didn't you? Something happened, right? Yes. Well, what, what, how long? How many years did you actually spend on the job before they? Uh... A little, little less than ten years. So a little less than ten years. And was it a, a shooting? What happened there? It was a. What you it was the shit out of somebody, right? No, no. I had just come back from ATF. I was in a task force. I was one of the first cops in Haida. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in, I worked in group one, but I, I also did a lot of warrants with group five. They, they liked how I was working. And I was doing a lot of buys. I was buying guns and drugs. At the time, I had brought this case over to to the uh, to ATF with the U.S. attorney. It, it ended up being the largest crack cocaine case in Southern District history at the time. And I was so used to, I basically became a cowboy with these guys. I, I had no supervisor when you're with them. We didn't have any soldiers down, down there. The agents were my bosses. So I was doing, we were doing warrants every night with them. We were going through doors. I was doing buys. And I was in that mode. So they wanted me to stay down there. I was slated to be, be promoted. And that was my whole thing. I wanted to be promoted to detective. And I rubbed a few people's the wrong way, <laughs> my horses, mm-hmm. and they came back in anti-crime, back in PSA 6 in Harlem. You got launched. Yeah, I was a little ticked off, to be honest with you. I was very ticked off. That's what they call it, people yeah. in the chat, launched. You know, I was still in that mode of, that cowboy mode. And yeah. we, my boss wanted to, wanted to know who was collaring one night. I, I told him I couldn't collar. I had to watch my daughter. She was young. My partner couldn't collar. So another cop could. It was a girl. And the boss said, you know any spots? And I said, yeah, I know several spots up in the Heights. We can go up there. I'll, I'll be the UC. But housing at the time didn't have UCs, undercovers. So you you really couldn't. You weren't, you weren't working with buy money. So I was working with my own money. Oh, my God. What's the point, really? I know you guys want to be, you know, you guys want to set the world on fire. But when it comes time to me going into my pocket, I wouldn't even go into my pocket for dinner. Get out of here. I never got my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But still, it's um, it's just look at what happened. You were, you were working in that fancy unit. You were doing all this kind of crazy stuff. And they don't care about that. Well, no. So finish your story. What happened? So you, you did what? So I went down to, we went down to 162nd Street between Amsterdam and Broadway. And um, I tell my partners, listen, just do me a favor. Hang back. Don't follow me. Stay back about a, a block away. Just ghost me. You'll know if I'm in trouble. I have no vest on, no radio, just my gun, 
and you and your just you and your cop looking face. That's it. And, and El Gringo. My, I had long hair back then, and I, I look. I still look like a cop, but these guys like a construction worker, probably right. Kind of, but I, I had the I had a black army jacket on with a one of those fishing hats that had the Oakland Raiders on them. And a little dirty. I was had an empty uh, beer bottle, put a little beer on my breath, and put it in a brown paper bag. I was walking. And I used, put, I used to put a little beer on my breath too when I just was on patrol. Get close to somebody. Yeah, yeah, like eight beer, eight beers. Yeah, you know, of you course. Have to be. And um, I came up. He said, "What are you looking for?" Right on the corner of Amsterdam. I said, "What do you got?" He said, "We got uh, snow in, in China White. That's coke and, and heroin." I said, "I, I want some uh, snow." He said, "All right, come with me." So as we were walking into the building. There were two guys on the left and two guys on the right. And I knew they were soldiers because I could see two of them had guns. I saw the butt of two. And the way the person, you know, how a person holds themselves, you know, if they, they have guns on them. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, this is not good. I, I, I got, let me go in and get out of here quickly. Hopefully nothing Bad's gonna go down. You're like, I'm so far away from the projects. I'm actually in a new projects. Actually, I, I, I left the projects to get into the street. Now I'm back in the projects. I was actually <laughs> far away from the rehab projects. Uh, I'm safe. I'm I'm near the projects. Still, they can't say I'm off projects. Uh, and when we're walking through the hallway, the lobby actually, it's his his uh room and his apartment's on the first floor. But it had like a little uh, stairway. So you get to the get to what happened, man. Because we we're, we're, this time is going so. Okay. We're, we're never going to get to the books. Tell tell me, give me the meat. What happened? What did you do? I, well, what were you accused of? I was accused of stealing seventeen hundred dollars that I vouched from yourself. That was your money. That was your no. own buy money. One of the guys that was sitting on the stairwell, he was a buyer. I was questioning him in the apartment because. Somehow he those two guys got into the apartment with my partners. They followed me. Mm -hmm. And we ended up arresting the, the the dealer. But the one of the buyers, I let the buyers go, thinking I was doing them a favor. The guys on the stoop, they came up to kill us because the dealer was yelling out in Spanish that we were doing a rip on him. And I kept telling my partners, you got to show him your shield. We're, we're cops telling him he's under arrest. And one of the guys I let go, he got shot by one of the four guys. And he ended up not dying. But I, we, uh, we came out of the building. I ended up chasing the guy that did the shooting. I couldn't catch him. And we brought the collar back. To the, to the precinct, the girl did not take the, the drugs that I was buying, and she didn't take the scale that he was weighing the drugs on. So you mean when you say the girl, you mean the female officer that female was officer. working with? So she left behind some evidence. Behind in the three O, they they vouched it because they they showed up, and at the time this is when the dirty thirty happened. Oh wow, yeah, that's bad news. Yeah, so, you can see how this looks on paper. It doesn't look yeah, good. You're a housing cop who's not in housing. What are you doing here? It looks like you're ripping off drug dealers. You left which, the house. 
you know, which was not true. I mean, I obviously, doubt- obviously, yeah, of course, but and it just didn't look good. It looked horrible. And other things happened during that night, which I won't talk about. It's people got we got suspended. Bosses got suspended, believe it or not. So about a year later, I was not in anti-crime anymore. They removed me. They put me back in uniform, which, again, I was pissed about. I didn't get promoted. And I was downtown, and my, a friend of mine, uh, a DA, said, listen, your name is coming up at the special prosecution office. They're looking to indict you. Wow. That's they, indicted, they indicted me on robbery, a larceny, oh. and official misconduct and falsifying business records, which was my memo book. I put myself in a different street that I wasn't in. You put yourself in the housing projects where you, where you yeah. should have been. <laughs> I took it to trial and I beat the robbery charge, which everybody was telling me, you beat the robbery charge, you, you're going to beat all the other charges. You'll be back in the street. Mm-hmm. Working. I did beat the charge for the robbery, but they found me guilty of the larceny because he said the guy couldn't get his money back. The drug from, dealer? But I marked the voucher as found property, the $1,700 mm-hmm. from the buyer. The girl cop, she marked the arrest evidence. So that locked it in where he couldn't get his money back. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I lost. That part, I, I ended up getting found guilty of the loss. All, all non-violent, no violent, all non-violent felonies. That I got found e felony. Got found guilty of the uh, police official misconduct and the falsifying business records. The judge hated cops for some reason, and he ended up giving me two to four years in prison. Wow. For nonviolent felonies. Should have got prob- probation. When you say he, he gave you two to four years, that means you had to go? I didn't even know this part of the story. Yeah. Two years. Really? I, I did two years in jail. Wow. For, for something I didn't do. And, I, you know, I'll go to my grave knowing that. It's. I got stabbed in jail. It, it, PC, protective custody is not protective custody in, in, in when you go upstate. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to get to you, they, they're going to get to you. They get thrown in there from general population to get by, by accident, right? Uh, yeah. Well, that's. A, I'm sorry to hear that, man. You got some story here, man. I don't know if we're going to be able to squeeze it in an hour. You might have to come back. Tell us a little bit about the books. This is this is the first book that you wrote, right? Yes. It's called End the Tour. Um, and this this basically is your memoir, your that's first me, memoir. In a cop and me going to prison. Uh huh. It, it it goes into detail of the whole trial and how corrupt the the, the justice system really is, and how messed up the brass and housing was. They just so, had a hold on for me. Just so the people listening and watching, end of tour is the name of the book. The author is Pete Thron, T H R O N, and we can find this on Amazon. Yeah, she. It, it's you can get it anywhere. It, it's in Barnes and Noble online, it's Target, or it's basically it's all. all that, that, that and this was a that was a bestseller, right? Now, yeah. you, in, in your bio, you wrote that that was uh, traditionally published. Can you briefly tell me uh, what uh, traditionally published? That means that you got 
a deal, right? You went to um, a publishing house? and Well, I went to a publishing house. It wasn't one of the big five. It was a small publisher that just went into business. I didn't know anything about publishing and getting a book out. So they, I was hoping to get money, but they said, well, no, we don't do that. Much. <laughs> you have to, they said you have to use your own money. <laughs> and we'll put it out there and we'll promote it. And it uh. makes sense. I found that them just last year, I finally got that book back in my, in my name. Uh. They ended up stealing about $25,000 from me. Bastards. Sales. And, um, that sounds like a shady deal right off the beginning. Yeah. The rest of the books were, I, I self-published them. And so this is the second book. This is the the second part of your memoirs. That's it's called yeah. One Under. Yeah. That's about me. Basically, that's all my, I hate saying this is my prison time. Uh-huh. And when I, when I got out. All right. This, this, this is, sounds like interesting stuff here. Okay. Now you switch. You switch gears here because those are two nonfiction books. And the third book, this Manhattan Jack, this is a fiction, right? Is this something you created? Yes. All right. Is uh is a is the based off of anything like real life and then just uh, embellished just, a little bit? I just created created it in my mind. And what I ended up doing was some of the retired cops I ended up that I know, they let me use them as characters mm -hmm. in the book. So I used some of these guys, put them in the in the, uh, the unit that goes after these this uh, serial killer. All right. So there'll be a second book to that right. down the and road. And then this is this this is the book that caught my eye for some reason. I just couldn't get past this guy. <laughs> the ever the everlasting chains. I, I just, <laughs> Is this the book that you had with you in prison? <laughs> was that your cellmate <laughs> it's a romance novel you got rid of it yeah, yeah, I know it's a romance novel but I don't know it's a romance believe me this is the book about your prison time huh <laughs> who is this guy who is this magical mystery guy with the the pectorials and the, and the tattoos and the wings huh that's about angels and fallen angels fight for. Yeah, do you have a thing for that? You, you, are, are you into the angels and stuff like that? Is yeah, I'm. I'm pretty devoted Catholic, and I uh, did a lot of studying on on the archangels and the. There's so many of them, all the fallen angels. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think it was John Travolta was in that movie with the angel, right? Didn't he come back to Earth as a main angel? Which one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't he? Right. Yep. And then. Uh, Prophecy, too. That was a good movie. This is, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that one too. Second to none, this is the final book. Five books in uh, five years. That's how you bang them out. Tell us what, what is this one? This book's probably my favorite book. That's that's actually the third book of the End of Tour series. It's about 16 cops. I call them heroes. Oh, yeah, that's the one we talked about. Uh, that's actually, that's the one um, after I, I stopped staring at that picture. Of that man with the wings. Uh, this is the one I actually peeked into. And there's a story in there. Well, I knew, I think I knew two of them. Basically, it's an ode to Fantastic Cops. Really yes. good. That's what this show is, basically. This is how uh, Police Off the Cuff was created with that mindset to kind of give 
really outstanding police officers, a place where they can leave their stories. So for your grandkids or your other family, friends, whatever, if they ever want, God forbid something happens to you, they ever want to go and see you tell your story, first person. That's what we wanted to do here, and I think we did a good job with that. But this, in this book, there's one detective by the name of Ray Ruther that I worked with. So we have that in common. And uh, I hope Ray's listening tonight. I thought he, I, I really enjoyed working with him. Um, he was a super, super detective, knew what he was doing. And uh, it was an honor to work with him. And then he went on to work in homicide, right? Wasn't he? And Mikey Rama, too, was yes. a homicide. I worked with two guys who went to homicide from working with me. And we had a lot of fun times. Uh, we worked in the Manhattan Warren squad. And it's it's I wouldn't I left there kicking and screaming, man. I didn't want to go anywhere. I was in the squad. Then I had to go to the squad. You know, what we're going to do briefly. I'm going to go back into this um, to the chat, see what's cooking. We're going to uh, and then we'll end the show with some stories new in the news. I promise Raquel we talk about one of them. But uh, let me just see. Jamie Pimpatel arrived. Hi, Jamie. Sergeant Friday, I mentioned you earlier. Nikki Bella. Hi, Nikki Bella. Maui Swift. Folks, if you're listening for the first time and you're enjoying the show, please click like. Please uh, join us. Uh, follow us on YouTube as well. And if you really, really like us, then check out our Patreon. Patreon.com. Police off the cuff. Patreon.com. And we have three tiers there. Or you can also check out our, our YouTube membership. Um, there's, I think, five or seven tiers there where you can help us out, uh, support the show in that fashion. Um, all the money goes to uh, to basically you know, updating equipment and uh, and taking care of our guests once in a while, things of that nature. Um, Scotty Wagner's in the house, the, the Rose of Spanish Harlem. Did you ever meet Scotty Wagner? No. Oh, man. He's a good guy. You like him. He worked up there, too, in Harlem. All right, so uh, Snow Lion. Yeah, Snow Lion, you're a little late, Snow Lion. You missed a, missed a lot of good stuff, but um, we're happy to have you nonetheless. Let's um, let's see what we got story-wise over here, and we'll close out with some stories that are, that are happening now in New York City. Uh, okay, so um, where do we go? Let me see. Is this, this, this guy right here? Chicago police officers placed on desk duty after busting drug dealer in internal affairs chief's car. Did you hear about this story? No. Okay, so this is the way this story goes down. Chicago, by the way, I mean, you talk about a freaking... Um, <laughs> it's shady over there. Shady as fuck. I mean, do you see the movie Batman? This is like Gotham City. There's these two guys, great cops just like you back in the day. And they observe a car in a drug-prone neighborhood driving erratically, whatever. They want to pull it over. But as they're driving after it to pull it over, they notice something come flying out the window, which usually happens. It turns out to be 42 bags of heroin. When they do pull the car over um, and they collar the guy, there's a female in the car as well. It turns out she's the niece of the IAB chief of Chicago Police Department. And she says, my auntie is probably your boss. My auntie is probably your boss. And turns out they were. But for some reason, for some reason, these two cops were put on desk duty immediately following that. Uh, nobody looked into the, the chief of IAB. 
and, and why your your niece is driving around in a Lexus that belongs to you with a drug dealer. Nothing. The two the two cops though they were immediately uh, put on that suspended and put on desk duty for doing their job. Yeah, so um, you know you we want to go over there and and, and be in uh, work for Lori Lightfoot. God bless you, man. I don't know what the hell's going on over there. That's that's just well, how crazy is that? It's anyway, just, the, the the feds got in. That's the good news. The feds got in. Good. Got involved. And uh, let's see what we got here. This is a, this is something that happened in New York recently. We'll go to the videotape for that one. This is a happened at MoMA Museum of Modern Art, right here in New York City. A regular suspect this morning after two people were stabbed at the Museum of Modern Art. CBS News John Diaz is live in Midtown with more on the hunt for a suspect and a closer look at some chilling surveillance video from that shocking incident. John. And chilling indeed. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Sydney. Well, the MoMA still remains a close here today after that violent attack on Saturday. Now, this coming as we have learned that the NYPD is monitoring a Facebook page that might be this alleged attackers. And in a recent post on that page, he claims that he is being framed. It's a chilling surveillance video sending shockwaves around the city and beyond. Look at him jump over watch the... As this suspect, identified by police, says six-year-old Gary Cabana jumped behind the reception desk at the Museum of Modern Art and repeatedly lunged towards workers. He stabbed two of them, a man and woman, both 24 years old. Police say Cabana, who was a regular at the museum, was denied access to watch a film. His membership had been revoked because of two previous disorderly conduct incidents. He became uh, upset about not being allowed entrance and then jumped over the reception desk and proceeded to attack and stab two employees of the museum multiple times. It happened just after 4 p.m. Saturday, one of the museum's busiest times. Chaos unfolded after the attack as people scrambled to get out. We just saw a commotion, people running down the escalator, down the stairs, and they rushed us to the back. The employees um, rushed us to the back, uh, into the basement, like a safe room. D. Daly shared this video with us and says he was among about 50 people that museum security rushed into that safe room. No place is safe anymore, man. When you can't even go to the museum for crying out loud. That's crazy. This guy was pissed, man. Like, he, he, think about it. He, they said he was a regular, so he was there uh, often enough that he was over. He was starting trouble on a regular basis. He got banned. Wow. And, uh, yeah, they. You get. Listen, I, I've been thrown out of a couple of bars, asked not to come back, some nightclubs, strip clubs, but never a museum, man. <laughs> you get thrown out of a museum, man. Oh my god! Oh my god! What the hell? Get thrown out of a museum? Wow. Little Little Mermaid finally draw. Oh man, I missed all the stream. I'll have to catch up. All right, you catch up. Sorry, Little Mermaid. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yes, yeah. so isn't that a weird one? Like yeah, this guy. Yes. I mean, he just right over the countertop. What the heck? Yeah, yeah. He needed he needed yeah. to see his yeah. art. He can't yeah. keep. That's all the guy's got is his art, and oh. um, you know, you're taking his art away from him. So, what else do we got here? Now, this is a disturbing one. For a lot of different reasons. This lady right here, she pushed an 87-year-old to the pavement in an unprovoked attack on 28th Street and 8th Avenue the other evening. And the victim happened to be 
this lady right here, her name is Barbara Mayer Gastern, and uh, she's now she has severe brain injury. She was a Broadway singing coach. Wow. Um, and in case you're missing, uh, this is a redhead. She's got a black jacket on. She's black leggings, white shirt, dark boots, and she's violent. So I'm going to come out of retirement and and I'm going to make it my personal business to find this woman. And uh, I may or may not bring her back to justice. <laughs> There'll be justice. She may not be brought in. She's horrible. I don't understand what kind of crazy people are running through the streets. That why, pushing. why are people pushing old people all the time? I that. It was at nighttime, too, I think. I'm pretty positive. So it wasn't like the street was crowded. It was like, ah, come on, lady, move out of the way. And um, there's people there's people really crazy. So uh, let's keep going here. What, what else do we got here? We got seven minutes to go. Oh, this is this is a good one, too, man. Too bad he didn't get this guy, man. He would have had a lot of drug collars back in the day in housing. This guy's name is uh, Thomas Eugene Colucci. And Mr. Colucci bought some methamphetamine from a local bar, brought it home, took a couple blasts, and uh, decided that he got beat on the count. So he called up his local police department, which happened to be Hernando, Hernando County Sheriff's Office, and he asked them to set, stop by with their drug kit so they can test the drugs and see how uh, if they are really if it's really meth or if it's some bath salt or something like that. He um, he also um, described himself to the sheriffs as an experienced drug user, so he knows what he's doing. He's not, he's not experienced with the law though, because this put, what a dumb bastard. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> how, much, how much meth you got to be on before you call the cops to, uh... <laughs> I, you know if you ask me i think the meth it, it worked pretty good if it got him so messed up that he actually called the cops yeah <laughs> and uh last but not least with this story over here this is a horror story horrible story. it's a horror story it's a horrible story and this is uh, by request. This is one for Raquel Pranzo. She requested this one. So um, hold on to your seats, folks. I don't know if you've ever seen or heard anything like this, but this is not good. Uh, where are we right now? Three-year-old suspect charged with dismembering a 68-year-old victim in Brooklyn. Police released video today of a man who they say is Harvey Marcelin riding a motorized scooter and carrying a body part into a store. Police now set, so saying the suspect is a serial killer and investigators are looking to determine if there are even more of his victims out there. Eyewitness News reporter Shante Lyons is live outside police headquarters in lower Manhattan with more. Shante. All day, police say that 83-year-old Harvey Marcelin was caught on surveillance video sitting on that victim's severed leg as he rode around on a motorized chair in a 99-cent store in Jamaica, Queens. New details emerge in the brutal homicide of 68-year-old Susan Layden. Her torso, severed head, and leg were found in East New York, Brooklyn, and now NYPD released surveillance video of the murder suspect in a wheelchair in a 99-cent store in Jamaica, Queens, sitting on that same leg 
of the victim. And the leg is right there on the seat. Police say the leg was in the same type of plastic bag that was recovered at the scene. A grand jury indicted 83-year-old Harvey Marcelin. Marcelin, who identifies as a transgender woman, has been charged with second-degree murder, criminal tampering of evidence, and concealment of human corpse. And it takes a serial killer off our street. Marcelin was on lifetime parole for manslaughter. She has five previous arrests, including two homicides of women and rape. She was charged with rape in March of 1963 and a month later, homicide Damn. for a shooting a woman in Harlem. After serving 21 years, she was released in 1984. A year and a half later, police say she stabbed a woman near Central Park, chopped up her body, and put them in bags. She pled guilty to manslaughter and served 33 years before being paroled again in 2019. Wow. Search warrants and witness interviews led detectives to Marceline's third floor apartment at 50 Pennsylvania Avenue, where they found Yedlin's severed head and other body parts. Police found surveillance video of Marceline and another woman who later cooperated with police seen on surveillance video of Home Depot. They purchased a Sawzall, trash bags, and cleaning solutions, and both individuals returned to Pennsylvania Avenue. And police say they're currently looking for additional surveillance video. They're also checking to see if there are any additional victims. <laughs> Yeah, it's horrible. That is creepy. Yep. Hold that on a second. One second. One se there we go. We're back. Yeah, you know, when he... That's the... the How did she get out? Why are you letting her out? She already he, killed people. Yeah, I know. She's, she's been killing people her whole life. You know, what's funny is that that's why it's important to do a, a, to create a to-do to list before you leave the house. You know what I'm saying? Because she she obviously remembered I have to go to the 99 cent store and it was probably a, a couple of errands along the way. But disposing of the severed leg that she forgot and it came back to haunt her, you know, yeah, it's yeah, but, but human bodies are so like, it, you know, people want to kill people, man. But then, then you, you know what to do with the body afterwards. It's, that's the biggest problem is disposing of the body like, you know, she. She had she had to in, involve her friend. They had to go get uh, the sawzall, and sawzall. then you know, yeah, she was eighty three years old. She spent thirty three years for one homicide, twenty one for another. I mean, this thing won't die. Look at it. What the what the fuck is this? Look at it. I hate cursing on the show, but look at that. If that's not a horror movie, I don't know what is, man. That's going to be a movie. I'm 6'4", 250. I see that thing come into my house. I'm, I'm, I'm underneath the bed screaming like a baby, crying. Please help me. <laughs> I don't want nothing to do with that thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? See? That's it's crazy. crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Let me uh, check in over here one more time before we say goodbye to... Our chat, Patty L. Yuck, scary. I know what a face, right? Oh my God, scared the hell out of me. Uh, Foxy Doxy, Fuzzy Doxy. She says hi, Peter Pranzo, Gina G. Snow line. Sorry about that. Um, Julie La Rosa. Hi, Julie. Ro she loves jail. She loves jail. She loves jail just as much as she hates people. It's either she hates people or she loves jail. One or the other. But she's going back. And at 83 years old, man, can you just imagine what it costs to house this lady? Or the, Raquel, 
Milwaukee too many to choose from. Well, folks, we've reached the hour. I want to go back one more time, show you these books. Um, this is the first one, End of Tour. It's a, it's a memoir of our guest tonight, Pete Thron, and it's the first of two, a series. One, I guess this one would be the, the Cowboy Days, and this one is the uh, what happens after you, the Cowboy Days, the Incarceration Days. Um, they both look like great reads. And then this is the third one. This is a fiction. It's called Manhattan Jack. All these books are available on Amazon. And um, what else did you say? Uh, the Barnes and Nobles. Right? Barnes and Noble and other places. You can, get, you can look up online and you can get it any way you want. Hey, did you think you could sign this copy for me, maybe across the nipples? That that copy is <laughs> available. I changed. I changed thank God. I actually, you sent me this copy. <laughs> it's, I'm it treasuring it. Like I can't have this guy on my wall. I look like the freak. <laughs> and this is the fifth book, a second to none. That it, it's an ode to all the fantastic officers that you worked with throughout your career. And you were a phenomenal guest. There's so much more to talk about. Like I said, this this is an hour that goes really really quick especially if you're having fun, which we did, especially if you have phenomenal people in the chat commenting. And um, what could I say? Um, is there anything that you want to plug? You got something that you want to? Um, um, no, I just want to I didn't work with those guys. I, I actually friends with them on Facebook and chose these guys to write about because their, their stories are amazing. Oh, okay. That's good. Did you, were the interview process too? Did you talk to them? Yeah, I talked to everybody, and, and some guys were nice enough to you know, give me some of their files to read. And mm -hmm. I think everybody got written uh, written statements from them and went through them and created the story. What are you them. working on now? You got a book that you're working on now? Uh, right now I'm working on an anthology, which is about a – really it's a crime thriller about a guy that's – trying to recreate his wife wow! From, from the guy that killed his wife. He's a, he's a plastic surgeon. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that sounds interesting. <laughs> and then I'm going to start doing the second book of uh, The Everlasting, but it's going to be a lot more darker. It's going to be uh, about a 16-year-old girl that gets possessed by several demons. And they have to I like that. You have a broad spectrum there, and it, it, that's good for your writing. You know, you cover a lot of ground. There's, uh, and it's interesting topics too. From yeah. from somebody who was in law enforcement, you know, you wouldn't expect to be writing uh, fiction, you know. But that's yeah, great. Shit. That's great. A lot, <laughs> a lot of a lot of ideas from the movies. Well, what else can I say? You were a phenomenal guest. I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you for having to me. the folks that tuned in tonight. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, usually Monday nights, I should have mentioned this at the top. You know, it's another thing I, I screwed up on. But if you if you watch tonight, uh, uh, Angel, my partner on Monday nights, he's actually in Florida. He's on a vacation right now. He's having a blast. I've seen the pictures on social media. So I wish him all the best. I hope he's having a good time. Um, I am also going to Florida. I'm leaving. Uh, Thursday, 
I'll be back Sunday. I'm pretty sure, if not Monday, but um, we will be back on Monday with a with a show. And um, until then, I'll let you know who that guest is. I th- I'm pretty sure Angel's coming back. But until then, I wish you guys a, a great weekend. There won't be a Thursday show this week because, like I said, I'll be in Florida, and uh, so will so will Angel. Different parts of Florida, but um. Who is this? Oh, is uh, Foxy Doxy. Is Bill still in Florida? I don't know if he's still. I think he's back now. But um, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. Um, Thanks, everybody, for uh, for just being so great to us. And have a great week. And I'll see you on Monday next week. Later, Pete. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye, everybody.